Well, we've uh, had some interesting days uh, uh, behind us and some more interesting days ahead of us. But thankfully, we have the Word of God that we may encourage one another with and that we could, we can look toward. Um, so we've, uh, we've all had our, um, our lives altered and, and changed uh, in just so many ways. Uh, it's, it's, it, it, you know, we could, we could spend, um, lots of time, uh, this morning together, just talking about the many ways that our lives have been altered, changed, uh, things have been canceled. And, and then there's others and we know others who have, excuse me, have been directly, directly affected by, uh, by the things that are happening in, in our world today. Um, we've all had these things happen to us, or at least canceled, whatever. Uh, this past week, uh, I was supposed to be in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, that was the plan uh, for Together for the Gospel conference that uh, I go to every every two years uh, for and en- for encouragement, for for fellowship, for singing, um, for books. Uh, and it's always been a joy and a refreshment to my soul uh, to be a part of that uh, conference. It's like the only conference that I go to uh, pretty much, and it happens every two years. Um, but what they did do, what they, what they did have this year was they, they live streamed the conference. Um, and what they did was is they had all the, the plenary speakers uh, and, and, and preachers and the breakout sessions, they had them, uh, I mean, just kind of uh, sh- uh, shortly, uh, like, uh, what was it, um, short notice. They had to, when they finally made the decision, hey, this isn't going to happen, what are we going to do, made the decision. Um, they asked all the plenary speakers to go ahead and and preach their message and record them and then send them to them, and then they would show them. And, and that's what they did. Uh, they, they live streamed this, the conference in pretty much the, the same order of, uh, of the conference that it usually would, um, that would usually be in. And um, I don't know, Chris, my wife's texting me. Okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, that they usually would have, uh, what they usually would uh, do. Um, but they, they minus the singing. There was no singing, uh, this year, which was kind of a disappointment, but you wouldn't get nowhere near the effect as, as we usually would have with, with everybody there now. Um, but, but still we, it was a little disappointing. It was just kind of like something was taken away, something I've been anticipating every two years, um, to be a part of, to fellowship and see my friends and, and, and be a part of something. And it was just kind of, it was taking away and I was looking forward to the live stream, but not really because I knew it wouldn't be the same. Um, and, and I tell you just the unexpected blessing of the Lord this week and, and, and being able to sit down and listen to these messages all week long, uh, and, and be a part of that. And so in these times, there's still these unexpected blessings and, and joys that the Lord brings our way that we, we wouldn't necessarily think to be a blessing. This, is this medium by which we're doing things is not the ordinary means of grace. This is not the way by which the Lord has ordained his church to, to gather, but this is a, 
this is a very poor way that for us to to gather together. But but here we are. We're, we're doing it, uh, and 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 we're we're trying to make it work. And and yet the, in it, there's there's still an, an unexpected uh, blessing and and joy uh, to it uh, that we can be together um, this morning. Now, a couple of weeks ago, um, uh, on March 29th, actually, uh, we looked at Psalm 34. And in Psalm 34, we, it had one major point. And that one major point, that one major theme was the Lord. Look at the Lord. Let me, let me show you all the things of, of the Lord. It was a, a serve, it was to serve us to, to remind us to look to the Lord, to fear him, to delight in him so that we would delight in him. Um, he, he, he said, look at the Lord here and how he is our deliverer, how he is our justifier, how he is our provider, how he is our righteousness, how he is our redeemer. And, and if you might remember, even in the, the middle of the, uh, of the, uh, of the Psalm, kind of the apex of the application of looking at the Lord is, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good, blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. So, so that's kind of like the, the apex of our application of us to look and delight in God because he is all of these things. He is our redeemer, our justifier, our deliverer. It, it was about directing our seeing and tasting to be completely fulfilled and satisfied in the goodness of God for all the good things that he has done. Now, this morning... I want us to turn back one psalm, to Psalm 33. I want us to turn back to Psalm 33. And, and in Psalm 33, there's we're, we're going to quickly see that the, the same theme is there in Psalm 34. It, it's a, a, a call of this, this particular psalm to, to look at God, to affix your gaze upon God. The, the singers of the Psalms to look at God. This is what your songs are about. And again, that's pretty much the whole theme of scripture, right? I mean, that, that's the whole theme is directing us back to look to him, to, to look to God, to set our mind on the, on the Lord. In the New Testament, the apostle Paul in Colossians 3 does the same thing. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, Seek the things that are above. Seek your, the things that are above. Seek Christ, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on these things that are above, not on the things that are earth or on the earth. So, so right here is the same thing that Psalm 34 and Psalm 33 is directing us to do, to set our hearts and our minds upon the Lord, the things that are in heaven. And Paul even gives us even greater clarity by saying, set your minds on Christ, not on the things that are on the earth. This is what he tells us to, to do. And this is what God's people are always called to do. We're called to do that, to set our mind upon the Lord. We look to him. We remember what he has done. We recount his character and we delight in him. Now, Psalm 34 directed us toward um, these different ways that the Lord has brought about great blessings in our lives, our justifier, our deliverer, our redeemer, and such. 
But in Psalm 33, he directs us and he directs the singers and hearers to worship the Lord, to delight in the Lord, to find joy in the Lord. And he gives us the reasons in Psalm 33, not just in the things that God has done, but he directs us to delight and find joy in the Lord in the reasons of who he is. He directs us to find worship and joy and delight in the attributes and character and nature of God. You know, what's interesting is, is if you look back to Psalm 32, verse 1, it says, Blessed is the one whose transgressions is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. Forgiveness, the blessings and great joy of forgiveness in Psalm 32. Blessing of knowing the Lord in Psalm 34. And here in the middle, Psalm 33, the blessings and joy of worshiping and delighting God for who he is. There's a, these things are going in order. They're building, they're building for us. So, so outright, the theme is God. But what do we do? We worship the Lord. That's what, it, that's what he starts off telling. In fact, look at verse 1. Now, we're not going to read the whole thing uh, in the beginning and then, uh, uh, and then go back. We're going to read it as we, as we go. So with each point, we'll, we'll read that particular part. So just stick with me in Psalm 34, and, or Psalm 33, excuse me, and, uh, and we'll read this together. So look at verse 1. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of the ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with the loud shouts. Now, skillfully, that's not me. Um, doesn't happen. But we try. So verses one through three, I mean, you, I mean, instantly, you know exactly what he's setting up for us here in, in, in these verses. The, the focus is worship of the Lord, right? Remember the theme topic is directing us back to the Lord, to the things that are above. And the focus of this psalm clearly is worship. The, the worship, this is the one thing that's absolutely clear here is, is worship in that our worship though is also directed somewhere. It's directed where? It's directed toward the Lord. It's directed toward the Lord. And in particularly, our worship is rooted in the scriptures where the Lord is revealed in truth. And also, what is he telling us here? So our worship is directed toward the Lord. It's in truth. It's in the scriptures. But it's also what? It's joyful. Do you see that there? It's joyful. It's delighting. It's satisfying to the soul. It's what we were created to do. To worship God. To worship Him. It's where we will find soul satisfaction. 
in, in our worship. But we let, listen, it's not always going to be happy. It's not always going to, to be those things. And, and, and truthfully, it's a, it's a disservice of the, of the, of the church to, uh, um, and to, to always pre- present worship congregationally as always being upbeat and joyful and, and exuberant because that's not life. That's not where, that's not what jo- uh, joy uh, 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 always is because worship is sometimes even just sorrowful. So, I mean, we see that in the Psalms. Finding joy and delight in the Lord is sometimes it's in those minor keys of come ye sinners poor and weary that that's what i mean that so so but worship though is if it's directed in the lord if it's in truth if it's in the scriptures it's always soul satisfying because it's what we were created to do to find delight in the lord worship is not a drudgery man ah Sometimes, and this is not directed toward you all at all, but serving in church ministry for years now, and, and, and I'm not speaking up our place, but sometimes the, the faces that you see when you're singing great, glorious things of the Lord or when you're preaching the gospel and the richnesses of the word, you see drudgery on the faces. Now I get it, it's, it's hard. Sometimes things are just tough. and But that's not what we see presented here. That when we are fate, when, when it comes before us, the deep, rich theology of God, we shout for joy. We rejoice and we find great joy and soul satisfaction in Him. It's not a drudgery. These aren't just things that we do because, because we have to. We do them because we want to, because it's so satisfying, because of the glory of because of the glory of God. Drudgery is not the image we get here in Psalm 33. Also, notice who worships the Lord. Who sings? Who makes melody? Who gives thanks? Verse 1: the righteous. It's the righteous who, who worship God. Now, now we kind of need to make a distinction here because we know from Romans 14, 11 and Philippians 2, 10, that in the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven on earth and under the earth. They, that everyone will worship. But, that's, but that is also in, in judgment. That'll take place in, in, in judgment where the righteous and the wicked will worship because, of the, because the Lord is the Lord. He is God, and he, all people will, will worship him. But however, this psalm is presenting that the people of God who have been satisfied by God, who have been encountered by the word of God in such a way that they find their joy in him, will worship him, will delight in him. It says, oh, you righteous, those who have been made already righteous and upright by the Lord, sing to him, worship him, shout for joy. So this is for Christians. This is for people who who faithfully follow the Lord. This is for those who faithfully follow the Lord. To worship him. Those who he has made righteous in Christ, sing to the Lord. And how is he said? We shout. We, because shouting 
Praise befits the upright. This is what the righteous do. They praise. They shout for, for, for joy. This is what we do. We shout for joy because, because we're praising God. We're, we're, we're praising the, the Lord. This is what we do. We shout for joy. We, we give thanks. Verse 2. We, we give thanks. And in our worship, we're, we're expressing our thankfulness to, to God. We make melody. We, we sing. We, we make melody and we sing together. We sing to him a, a new song, verse 3. Now, new song doesn't mean that we come up with a fresh word or we have to invent something, invent something new, but rather it means singing a song that's in response to this, to a fresh experience of God's grace every day. With a measure of God's grace that he gives us every day, grace upon grace, John 1, 16, that he gives to us, that, that that refreshes us in such a way. It's like singing a new song every day. It's like seeing all I have in Christ for the first time and hearing those words again. And you're just like, hallelujah, all I have is Christ. And yet you've sang that song. I can count them. I, I have it listed 20 times over the last four years. Right? I mean, we, well, we, we, we sing to him a new song because it's not necessarily that the songs that we sing, but it's who we're singing to that those songs are about. His mercies are new each morning. We sing a new song in response to that new grace and that new mercy that he gives to us each day. Again, back to Colossians 3. There's another imperative that's given to the church. Verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you, in, in which indeed you were called in one body. So now we get into this corporate, corporate aspect. This is the corporate aspect. You, the individual, brought into the corporate whole. He says, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. That's what we're doing now. That's what we do on on Wednesday night, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. This is exactly what, what Psalm 33 is telling us to do. Because of the word of Christ that dwells richly in our hearts, we're teaching it and we're admonishing one another because of what's happening. So I'm admonishing you, you're admonishing me. We're teaching, we're teaching one another. Then we're singing hymns and spiritual songs with what thankfulness in our hearts. And thankfulness to hearts because this is what God has done. And this is what God's people do. This is why we want to cultivate a, a, a culture, an ethos of Sovereign Grace Church, of being a people that sing. With Even with our melodies may not be that good. And our playing the strings may not be that great. However, the Lord delights in them. And it's not out of a talent that we sing or play guitar. It's out of joy. It's out of joy. Now, so this is, the, this is what he's setting up, right? So he's telling worship, worship God, and, and shout, give thanks, sing, play the guitar, play the lute, play the lyre. Shout to the Lord together. That's the impetus, right? Of shout to the Lord, sing to, together. But what he's going to do now in the rest of the psalm is just like what I told you earlier. He's going to lay out why. He's going to give us some 
big, big reasons of why. Why we worship, why we shout for joy and give thanks and make melody. And you know what? I think those who go to church and it's a drudgery to them is because these great truths have not been made manifest to them. For many and myriads of reasons and maybe even our own hearts might not have taken place and it took time to get there. But these are things that the psalmist says, this is why we worship. This is why we sing. And here's the first. First, worship him for his word, for his revelation. Worship him for his word, for his revelation. Let's look at verse four. For the word of the Lord is upright. And all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the, full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made known. Were made, excuse me, were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters and the sea as a heap. He puts the heaps and the deeps puts the deeps in the storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Oh, I love that. Isn't it amazing that the first thing that he directs us to is the words, the word of God. He directs us to directly to the word of God, to God's word. And why? He tells us right there in verse 4. Because it is upright. It is upright. For the word of the Lord is upright and all his work is done in faithfulness. The Lord is faithful. Perfectly faithful. You know, it's interesting is we get that. Like we, we get that the Lord is, 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 is faithful. We know he's faithful. We've seen those bumper stickers. We, we, we've seen those, those memes and poems. We know that the Lord is, is faithful. And we know that the Lord has been faithful to us. But how do you know that the Lord has been faithful? How do you know that the Lord has been faithful to you? How do you know that the Lord has been has has been has fulfilled his promises. How do you know the God's promises? Through his word. Through his word. We don't we don't go by feelings. We don't go by memes or poems or art or or Christian slogans. Um, and, and and truthfully, we don't go by even what Grandma tells us. Even though the truth she may have truth, but we weigh it all. We test it all to the word of God. The promises of God in his word proves his faithfulness, proves his, his faithfulness. So how do we know that God is faithful and has been faithful to his promises to us, to the church? And we know that God will continually be faithful and his prayer, our prayers will be answered according to his word, because according to his word, because of his word. 
Verse 5, he loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. The righteousness, the justice, the goodness and kindness of God has been shown to all creation. I, I looked up that word, the steadfast love of the Lord right there. And, and that's actually been a, a different usage of what we see of, of love in the Old Testament. This, this particular usage is, is, uh, is, is goodness and kindness is goodness and kindness of God. And so what is he telling us here? He says that the Lord loves righteousness and justice and the earth is full of the goodness and kindness of God, of the, of the, of the Lord. What does that mean? That means to all creation, the righteous and the wrong, the righteous and the wicked, the Lord has shown great kindness and great goodness to. Divine goodness is the overflowing bounty of the nature of God. This is who he is. He's merciful because of his goodness. He is, he is gracious because of his goodness. He is loving because of his goodness. And we see his goodness revealed in creation. We see his, his goodness revealed in creation. That's what verses uh, 6 and 7 is doing. It's, it's directing us to, to all of creation, to general revelation. He's saying, look around you. Look at the goodness of God. Look at the kindness of God and all around you and all of the, the kindness of, of God. He spoke by his word and the earth and the heavens were created. Every day during the six days of creation, what did God say? He said, it is good. It is good. He created by his goodness and through his word from nothing. And he says, it is good. Creation is, the, is an expression of God's goodness. And in millions and millions of ways, that goodness is being expressed to us. I mean, it's, it is inex inexhaustible for us to truly mine the, uh, um, the, the goodness and the creativity of God that he sets before each and every one of us daily. I mean, this morning, preparing and, and praying and reading, and I opened my blind to my office here and watching clouds come and watching it then all of a sudden clear up. Clouds come, clear up. Clouds, it's done it like four times. And that's just the goodness and power of God that he's showing us that he is sovereign and control over all. That he does it all. And he does it here and he does it all over the world and he's showing us his godness. In his goodness, who tells the grass to turn green? Who tells the leaves to come back and grow? Who tells the flowers to bloom? It's not the government. It's not the powers of this earth. It's not the scientists. It's God. And he's doing that over and over in millions and millions of, of ways with all the flowers and grass and, 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 and leaves that are just come out of nowhere. He's doing that over and over and over saying, I am good. I am good. I am good. Look at verse 8 and 9. What does his word call then all the earth to do? To fear him. Now we've we've encountered this in, in, in the uh, in the Psalms to fear him. 
for all of humanity to put themselves under what? His divine authority. To submit themselves under His authority. To put our faith in Him. To stand in all of Him. Again, who can, who can stand on the edge of, of the, the south rim of the Grand Canyon at sunrise and say, Man, that's beautiful, but I'm cool. Isn't the Grand Canyon lucky that I showed up today? No. When we see such a thing, we are put in our place. And we are in awe. We are put in our place to be in awe of him. But what's the problem? Because not everybody that stands on the southern rim at sunrise gives glory to God. The problem is sin. We may be in all of the Grand Canyon, the Tetons, the Smoky Mountains, glaciers in Alaska, the ocean, the beauty of the lakes as the sun goes down, whatever it may be. But sin and fallenness has led man to say, wow, Mother Nature is wonderful and as full of wondrous things as power and powerful. Wow, millions of years of erosion has done that. Blah, blah, blah. All of that stuff. You see, man was created to enjoy nature and creation, but that enjoyment was meant to roll up to give glory to God because he's the one that gave it to us to enjoy. To enjoy the creator more. You know, it's interesting. I've, uh, this past summer, I was able to go out west and, uh, to Colorado and visit my friend Eric, who lives out in Colorado Springs, and we got to do lots of cool things. And and um, and he, he, there's a lot of people who are not from Colorado live in Colorado. There's many states like that. And and um, and he says he told me he's like, and he's a, he's a good brother. And he told me he says this is where people go to worship creation. He said people come visit and they see it and it's glorious and beautiful, and they come to worship creation on the weekends. They get a job and then they come out and worship. And he's like, man, they miss it. They miss the, the, the final piece of enjoying the glory of God. And, and, you know, sin has distorted that. That's what fallenness and sin has done. And it points back again that we need an other righteousness to make us righteous, that we may enjoy creation even now in these days in its fullest, which means in its fullest to roll up to the glory of God. But not so for the righteous. We see the goodness of God's word in creation. But it also points us to another goodness in God's word, right? And that is in specific revelation. And that is the written word of God. Because we find delight in the words of God, the the scriptures. Because that's where life is found. That's where truth is found. That's where the, the gospel is found. It's where Christ is found. It's where God has, has revealed himself in a way that is uh, sufficient for salvation. I mean, listen, listen to some of what the Psalms say about the word of God. Psalm 112.1, praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. Psalm 19 verse 14. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as such in all riches. Verse 16, I will delight in your statues. I will not forget your word. Verse 24, your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. 
Verse 35, lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Verse 47, for I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. Verse 70, their heart is unfeeling like fat. Ooh, we get to spend some time one day on that. But I delight in your law. Verse 77, let your mercy come to me that I may live for your law is my delight. Verse 92, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. Oh, oh, let that take root. Verse 143, trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commands are my delight. Verse 174, yeah, we're still in Psalm 119. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. I mean, do we got to keep going? Do we get the point? We worship the Lord and we delight in the Lord, number one, and shout to the Lord and sing to the Lord. Why? For his revelation, for his word that he has given to us. The revelation in creation and his revelation in the word. The word of God that we take so much delight in. And we sing to the Lord for that, for that word. Have you ever truly contemplated the blessing and the miracles of creation around us? I'm sure most of you have. And, and, and you've seen some beautiful things and just were astounded by the glory of God and the the majesty of God. I like that, the majesty, because that's like a, that, that, that's kind of like a, it puts you back. The majesty of God. And you've worshiped, been able to worship the Lord and roll that up to his, his glory. But have you worshiped the Lord for his written word? Thanking him for his written word. And you, it's a miracle that we have his word. It, brothers and sisters, it's a it's a miracle that that all of us even have the ability and the tools and the 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 resources to study His Word. It, that's a that's a miracle. That's a kindness of God. That's a mercy of God. It's a grace of God to be able to read it. The, the first, some of the first educators in our in our country and our were advocates for all to learn because they wanted them to read the Word of God. It's that was one of the the major uh, pushings of the uh, uh, pushes of the reformers was the people to be able to read the Word of God, to be able to read the Word of God and to understand the Word of God and delight in the Word of God. And the only way that they're going to be able to do it is to be able to read the Word of God. So that's the first one. Worship him for his word. Number two, worship him for his divine providence. Worship him for his divine providence. Look at verse 10. The Lord brings counsel, the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of his of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, 
Verse 11, the counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Verse 12, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. This speaks of the providence of God, the divine providence of God over this world. To worship him, to delight in him because he has providential care over this world. Now, there's no way we can exhaust this, this one particular point, but I want you to see a few things in, from these verses, that the Lord's divine providence is an assurance and a source of joy uh, for which all of us can, can endlessly worship God to delight in Him. So, so this, again, this is not only teaching us of the divine providence of God, but it's also being a source or a root for uh, our joy in him, our assurance in him. So verse 10, the Lord brings counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. So the Lord who created the world by his word and said that it was good also rules it according to what? Does he rule it according to the plans of man? Does he rule it according to the plans of the nations? Not according to verse these verses. Not according to the truth of God's word. You know, one thing that's, that's very significant in these days and that's been exposed in these, in, in these weeks is, is the, um, through the coronavirus, it is showing how small and humble the nations are. It's showing how small and humble that our leaders and kings and presidents and prime ministers and premiers are. They have been shown that they are just mere men and women like the rest of us. And that their plans, as great as they may be, with all the counsels and professionals that they may have, they're still mere men. And they are what? Frustrated and brought to nothing by the hand of the Lord in comparison to the providence of God. Who really has control, providence over the Lord? I want you to see something here. Who's the one that's acting? Who's doing the frustrating? Who's bringing to nothing? It's the Lord. In his divine providence, he is working out all things according to the counsel of his will, not the will of man. The will of man, the, the plans of man are being frustrated. The, the, the nations and the kings and the leaders, their plans are considered as nothing. Their counsel is nothing compared to the Lord. Our plans, our counsel is not ultimate and we treat it like it is. We treat it like it's ultimate. And boy, do we get frustrated when we think that, that they are. When we think that those plans are ultimate and then they don't go our way. We get frustrated. We get angry. We lash out. And what that is, it's the mercy of God showing us that you are not in control. That you are not in control. They are... The plans of God 
The divine plans over the God are is over the nations. And he rules and he reigns in his providence over the nations. Verse 11, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. There's a compare and contrast there, isn't there? The, the, the compare and contrast there is that, is that man's counsel, man's plans become frustrated, but what? The Lord's counsel and the Lord's plans stand forever. They stand forever. His divine decree, his providence stands forever. And his plans, his counsel are the plans for his heart to all generations, meaning it is forever. It's forever. Now, now this is troublesome to many people. The divine providence of God is troublesome to many people because they would ask the question, why or how could God be good and in control and worthy of worship for his divine providence and that he would allow suffering and death and tragedy and COVID-19. What? Why? So why would I worship a God who would do these things? And, and this is one of those, this is a hard question to answer or a hard answer for people to, to digest because existentially or experientially, this is, we feel this and we don't want to take truth in. But the truth is, is no matter hard it is to hear, the plans of the Lord are not always, most of the time, not the plans of ours. The Lord does not act in the same ways that we act. And we do not know the ways of the Lord. We do not know all that he is doing. And for us to believe that we do, and for us to question God and his sovereign plans and his divine providence in life, to question those is arrogance on our parts. Is arrogance. And so when these things don't happen the way that we want them to, we get frustrated, we get angry. Let me illustrate that. When, my, when, when we discipline our children and when you've disciplined your children, about 95% of the time, they don't really understand. They don't believe or understand that in disciplining them, you are working for their good. That you realigning them and whatever means it was, is that you're realigning them to a greater hope into a greater joy that as children, they could not see or they could never fathom. So do you see what, what I mean in that? In that God brings these things and rules in his divine providence and brings things in our lives that we may not understand and we may never understand, but here's what we do know and this is what the word tells us. It tells us that he will always do what's right. He tells us he's always will do what's right. Genesis 18, 25. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Those who are called according to his purpose. I don't know if you guys can hear the boys. Can y'all hear the boys? Uh, if anyone can, I see Miss Susan. She has her camera. I can, are, do you see the boys, Miss Susan? Or hear the boys, I mean? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. 
they're they're losing it. I, I don't know what happened, but they're losing their minds right now. So I apologize for all the, the racket. I could Oh <laughs> thank you, Eva. Yeah. So in judgment and suffering, the Lord is always working things out according to his glory and for the joy of his people. And just to speak directly into our time now, there's there's no way I or anyone else could speak to all the purposes of God in these times. Again, that would be arrogant. But for sure, we know that he will always do things that is right and good. He will always do what is good and what's always right. And we know to what end he is doing things. That is to bring penitent hearts to make penitent hearts, to bring his people to repentance, to bring about faith and repentance and the lost. It's not just about punishment. And no wonder the psalmist then in verse 12 directs us the way he does. He directs it back to the people, to the, to the nation, because it's like a call of repentance there in verse 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. That's a, that's a call to repentance. To the, nation of, to the nation of Israel, the people whom he has chosen to be his heritage, that they would be blessed in him if the Lord is truly their God, who fear him, who truly worship him as he has instructed him them. I think this verse, verse 12, could be directly applied to us, the church. Because as God's people, as his elect, him choosing us, him grafting us into the heritage, I like that, then think of all of the inexhaustible blessings of having confidence in the divine providence of God, who by his grace and by his divine providence has chosen to save even you and me and adopting you into his family and will preserve you for all eternity. It's this hope. It's this hope, brothers and sisters, before us endured in death and that the brothers and sisters that came before us who endured in death and persecution. And it's this same rich, deep and life-giving theology that we can rest our entire lives on even now. Even in such uncertainty, I mean, there's so many things in the air that we can rest upon the divine providence of God. That it was his divine providence that sent his son to the cross and it was his divine providence that that saved us and it's his divine providence that will sustain us and persevere us so that when we either die or that Christ comes back, he will preserve us for eternity. Have assurance that if you are in Christ according to his divine providence, you will endure. Worship him for that. Worship him for that. Shout to the Lord for that. Sing to the Lord for his divine providence. Third, so first it was sing to him for his word. Second was for, for, for his divine providence. And third, worship him for his divine sovereignty. 
for his divine sovereignty. Now, we, we, we talk about sovereignty a lot. It's, it, it should be in our name, right? And we talk about divine sovereignty a lot. And I think in these verses, 13 through 19, we're going to read them just a second. I think that there are three ways that these verses express God's divine sovereignty. And as we read them, see if you can pick them out. Look at, let's read verse 13. The Lord looks down from heaven and sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out. On all the inhabitants of the earth, he who fashions the, earth, the hearts of all of them and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. So the first one, the first way that we see the sovereign, divine sovereignty of God expressed is, is, is in his nature, in God's nature. You see it there, that first one, that God is on his throne. He looks down from heaven. He sees all of his children. He observes all of their deeds. He is on his throne. That means he is sovereignly seeing all things. But in his divine sovereignty, that doesn't make him distant from us, does it? Because look at, look at it. He sees all the children of man. He looks at all inhabitants. He who fashions observes all their deeds. He knows. And in his sovereignty, on his throne. So this is the image of a throne, right? We see this of kings who sit on their throne. And the reason why the throne is always a little bit higher is so that the king could look out over his people. But that's a false image in a sense because... They can only look as far out as their eyes could see. But God, he sits on his throne and he sees all. He sees and he rules. He has dominion over all of his creation. Sovereign dominion over all of his creation. He sees all the children of man and he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. In his sovereignty here, we see his omniscience. That God is the Lord is all-knowing. His omniscience. He knows all. He's, he's in all. He's been a part of all. He's there. The Lord is all-knowing. It points us to his omnipresence because he's on his throne and he's overlooking every square inch of creation. He knows all and he sees all from his throne. We see in his nature the sovereignty of God, his divine sovereignty, that he is omniscient, he's omnipresent, he's omnipotent. Earlier we saw his omnibenevolence, his goodness. But secondly, we see in his divine sovereignty, in his will. We see his divine sovereignty in his will. Verse 16 and 17 in verses 16 and 17, there's, there's these images, these illustrations that are, uh, that are posed uh, uh, for us. There's this illustration of a, of a king. And, and interesting, he talks about a king as he's just described the Lord as one who sits on the throne. Then here's this king. What does the king do? The king is not saved by his great army. There's no salvation or deliverance for the king through his, through his great army. 
There's then the image of the of the the warrior who trusts in his in his strength. The warhorse is a is a terrible place to put your hope for salvation and rescue. And 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 what are what is he pointing out here in these three these three powerful images? He's pointing that that they're not sovereign. Their wills are not ultimate. They're not they don't rule by their divine providence and sovereignty. They are not sovereign. They are not powerful in comparison to the Lord. These places are set up as places not to trust in, but to trust in not the will of man or the will of the flesh, but the will of God. The will of God to trust in the sovereign hand of God. That's what we we mean by that in that statement when we say, trust in the sovereign hand of God. What is that? The will of God. The will of God that he's good and he's always working out all things for his glory and for our joy. And this is why we were, we've been taught to pray, not my will be done, but your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We believe what James tells us to do when he, sa- when he says pray, if the Lord wills, I will go here and do such and such. Why? Because it's God's will that is sovereign and not ours. And so when our plans don't go our way, when we don't get to go to Louisville for together for the gospel, when we don't get to do maybe all the other, th- other things that you can put, we can trust in the Lord, the sovereign hand of God. And number three, we see the sovereignty of God expressed in his love. Look at verse 18. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. Again, fear him. Those who love him, submit to him, have faith in him, trust in him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. The eye of the Lord. I like that. that, that I mean, that, that's a picture for us. That's language that we can understand. The gaze of the Lord is on his people, and it's a gaze of love. It's a gaze of care. It's a gaze of provision and deliverance. We may be thinking of all the things that we have lost in these days and may lose, but think about the things, the blessings that the Lord has given you in these days. How he has shown his love to you. How he's shown... Uh, the merciful, loving hands of your Father in heaven who still is caring for his people even now to provide and care. Verse 19, that he may deliver their souls from death and to keep them alive in famine. Deliverance. Deliver their souls from death? What is that? That's salvation. And in his love, He, by his sovereign will, and what we like to say, by his sovereign grace, by his sovereign grace, 
The love of God has been made manifest to us through Christ Jesus, that we have been now saved, that we have been delivered our souls from death and being made kept alive, that we will persevere to the end. This, brothers and sisters, here in verse 19 is the sovereign grace of God. And the call by the psalmist is to sing and to shout and to worship God for his sovereign grace, for his divine providence, for his word. And that's why we get to verse 22. This verses 20 through 22. This is the, this is the bookend. So those are the three reasons why we worship. And now we get to the, the bookend in verse 20 and 22. Read that with me. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. Our soul waits you. Man, isn't that, isn't that interesting that we talked about worship in the beginning and, and, and worship is definitely at the end, but the bookend is waiting. Worship is so glorious. It's so good when it's just grounded and rooted in truth. But doesn't it still create a waiting it creates a waiting and a longing and a desire to, to see Christ face to face, to be done with sin in the flesh. So our soul waits for the Lord. And why? Because he is our help. Because he is our help. I mean, how simple is that? He is our help. He is our shield. Interesting. I thought of, I thought of the shield of faith in, in Ephesians 6 the shield of faith that we are given to extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Wow, our shield. Verse 21, for our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Now again, more character and attributes of God there, his holiness. But do you see the link in verse 21, the link again between our joy, our gladness, and trusting in his holy name. The lack of joy, the lack of gladness in this life may be due because of a lack of trusting in the sovereignty of God, trusting in his divine providence, leaning in on his word, worshiping him, worshiping him in spirit and truth, trusting in his holy name. When I, when I begin to worry, when I begin to fear, when I begin to have anxiousness about life and things and whatever, whatever the future may, may hold for you and for me and for all of us, when those things come, what am I not doing? I'm not trusting in the Lord. There is a direct link between our gladness and joy in this life and trusting in his holy name, in his holy name, in his hallowed name. In verse 22, let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. So we set our hope in him because of his steadfast love. We worship him and our hope is set in him because of his steadfast love. We hope in the one who has given us his word, the word of creation, 
and the word and the scriptures. And in those things, he has shown us an infinite amount of goodness. Our hope is in the Lord who is always acting in his divine providence, maybe frustrating the nations, maybe frustrating the peoples and their plans, but he's always working for his glory and our joy. Our hope is in the Lord who is sovereign because he is all-knowing and he is all-seeing, but he is also all-loving. He is not a tyrant. He is not impatient. He is not hateful. He is not spiteful, but he is loving. And this psalm, brothers and sisters, is to draw us to be in awe of him. To be in awe of him. I, I titled this, this message, I know at the end it sounds weird that I'm giving it to you, but finding joy in the beauty of God. The Psalm 33 has set for us the beauty of God. I mean, just the beauty of God. To be in awe of Him. And He was telling us that through worship and in our hope is where we will find joy when we are worshiping Him as He has revealed Himself. The beauty of God. In the New Testament, there are two passages where the beauty of God is on display. And in Ephesians 1, you can turn with me there if you want. Ephesians 1, starting in verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoptions to adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, in which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things to the counsel of his will. So that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. To the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, that are the riches and the glorious inheritance in the saints. Oh, that's like, that's what we're wanting today to see. 
and the what is the immeasurable greatness of the power toward us who believe according to the work of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above the rule and authority and the power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet, gave him as head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And then in Romans 11, verse 33, he says, in response to the great salvation, the mystery of the gospel, he says, oh, the depths and the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For he has no, who has known the mind of the Lord or has been his counselor or who has given to him a gift that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Brothers and sisters, we are called to worship the Lord in this truth. And when we sing together, when you sing at home, when you shout for joy, let it be rooted in this glorious doctrine because it reveals the beauty of God, your Father, who is in heaven who has lavished upon us his immeasurable riches to the glory of his name. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word. Thank you for encouraging us. And may you continue to use these times to bring about great joy and great delight in you. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.